0: Hi everyone, I'm Greg Harton, editorial page editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Welcome to this edition of Speaking of Arkansas, coming to you from beautiful Fayetteville in the northwest corner of the state. Thanks for listening. You'll not be surprised when I say that debate continues to rage over climate change. Once one gets past arguments over what's causing it, the natural question is what to do about it. On a personal level or within public policy. If you don't believe in man-made climate change, today's episode isn't about convincing you otherwise. Rather, I got a chance to visit with Northwest Arkansas members of Citizens Climate Lobby. These are people convinced action is needed to turn back the tide of climate change. CCL is a non-profit organization. It approaches climate change in a bipartisan fashion, focusing almost exclusively on one goal. Adoption by Congress of a Carbon Fee and Dividend System to Reduce Pollution that Contributes to Climate Change. Our guests will detail more of that plan in today's podcast. I'm joined today by two members of the Fayetteville chapter of Citizens Climate Lobby. Gary Kahanek and Terry Trimwell, are volunteers who work with the organization to lobby political leaders for change, and they join me in our Fayetteville studio. Uh, thanks for joining us today. We're uh, going to talk today with uh, Gary Kahanek um, uh, of Fayetteville. Uh, thanks for being with us today. Glad to be here. Thank you. And with Terry Trimwell, who is uh, uh, with the University of Arkansas, uh, uh, an educator up there, but is speaking on his own behalf today. Uh, uh, both of these gentlemen are with the Citizens Climate Lobby. Terry, thank you for joining us.
1: My pleasure, Greg. Um,
0: so let's just start off today with just a, a description of what the Citizens' Climate Lobby is. It's an organization, um, uh, but it's beyond Fayetteville. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh,
2: Citizens' Climate Lobby uh, is, a, is a national group. We, uh, uh, there are chapters in every state uh, and as well as several other uh, countries. And the, the entire purpose is to get regular citizens to volunteer around a very specific purpose, and that is uh, to have Congress consider and ultimately pass a carbon fee and dividend, a, a way to put a price on carbon uh, that is emitted by the combustion of fossil fuels. And uh citizen climate lobby feels that that is a central uh, policy piece that needs to happen uh, if we're going to make significant progress uh, toward uh, mitigating climate change.
0: And the organization's been around for, um, since 2012, if I I understood? Here in Arkansas.
2: Here in Arkansas, a little before then, uh, nationally. Uh, The other thing uh, about Citizens Climate Lobby is that it is nonpartisan, bipartisan, and nonprofit. So uh, we don't accept uh, large donations from corporate interests, and uh, the vast number of uh, uh, our s- lobbyists, our volunteer lobbyists that descend on Washington, D.C., are all uh, just individual citizens uh, doing something that they, they feel is
1: going to help. Okay. And the solution that Citizens Climate Lobby proposes is revenue neutral, meaning it doesn't grow government.
0: Okay. Well. I want to dive deeper into the carbon uh, fee and dividend here in just a few minutes. Um, But, uh, Terry, if you'd tell me a little bit, uh, I mean, limited time, obviously, and and climate change is a big topic, but give me a sense of what brought you into the, uh, or to the conclusion that you really needed to step up and be involved. Uh, What, you know, there, there are plenty of people out there that, you know, kind of know a little bit about this and and maybe are concerned about it, but they're not necessarily doing anything about it uh, day to day. Um, Clearly, you guys reached a point where you just decided, I've got to get involved in this. And so help me to understand what what triggered
1: that. Well, um, my wife and I have a son. He's 32 now. Um, We spent two years in Central America, and we're seeing lots of effects of uh, on friends of ours, still in Nicaragua. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a concern for people around us today, and things that are happening uh, worldwide, um, and here locally as well. Okay. Gary, uh,
2: my background uh, education is in was in environmental science or natural resources. And so, uh, you know, heavy orientation on the biological sciences, ecology, and I've just been interested in that my entire life. Uh, About 10 years ago, uh, in looking toward doing something along those lines that people can, you know, contribute, I changed a career and went into residential energy efficiency. And... At the start of that process, it made me really do a deep dive on policy issues, energy policy. Uh, Climate change was really coming to the forefront about that time. And I've just been uh, really passionate about that issue ever since. Uh, So again, uh, uh, carbon pricing, the carbon fee and dividend is a really crucial policy instrument. There are other solutions out there.
1: Uh, but that's a central one, and that's kind of my motivation. Okay. And I met Gary when he came to my house to give an uh, energy audit for my home, <laughs> and uh, that was an important thing to learn how to how to make my home more efficient.
0: So he uh, y'all didn't know each other before then, and they just came no. knocking. Okay. Um, so how how big is your group relative to? your perception of how big the problem is?
2: Oh, well, uh, there are thousands of uh, the Citizens Climate Lobby uh, volunteers, but it's really a a global problem. And, And just for perspective, if the United States went completely zero emissions tomorrow, this would still be a big problem for the world. Currently, the U.S. emits about 15% of annual uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Historically, the U.S. is is responsible for about 25% of cumulative global emissions. So we have a role to play. We we have some responsibility. Um, So I guess my message to everyday folks in Arkansas is, Yes, it's important to do things in our personal lives where we can. But the second part of that is that the policy change has to be part of it. And policies that will apply first at the local level, state level, national level, and then hopefully uh, transfer to solutions that will be appropriate for the rest of the world. It's going to take that perspective to make this really work, and that,
0: that is one of the—I don't know if you'd call it an excuse or just a reason—that some people give, and sometimes you hear out of the current administration that that we don't need to act um, unilaterally because no matter what we do, there's still, you know, all these other countries that are, you know, some of some of them maybe you know, even uh, worse, you know, offenders, I guess, than, than we might be. And, and so there's this notion that, well, you know, they need to go first. Um, so, you know, does that just drive you all crazy when you, when you hear that kind it, of a...
2: It sort of does. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, if, if a teenager messes up their room, they need to clean up their room. And this is really not a lot different. You know, we, we need to be, uh, be responsible. And take appropriate action
1: to clean up the messes we've made. Yeah, and we're about four percent of the world's population, and we've contributed twenty-five percent of of the cumulative amount of carbon dioxide in the air, carbon emissions.
0: The um, you you've talked a little bit about the carbon uh, fee and dividend. Uh, Break that down for me for for listeners who might not uh be as familiar with that as you guys are just help, help us to understand exactly how that makes a difference
2: okay uh, well again the the combustion of fossil fuels for power and industry and transportation that's emitting greenhouse gases carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and currently there's no penalty for that uh so we're basically using the atmosphere as a sewer free of charge there is a cost uh you know people's lives are are lost Uh, it's causing environmental damage there's a cost to society by that type of pollution so uh the and this is a market correction basically we you know that's called an externalized cost so to make market forces work correctly, you want to internalize it. And so that's all we're doing. It's just a basic market correction. So um, a small price per ton of carbon would be implemented uh, at, the, at the wellhead or the, or the port of entry. And those energy companies would pay that. This, these fees would be collected and then redistributed uh, to every person on a per capita basis in a monthly check. That's the dividend part. So, and the fee on carbon would start small and it would increase by ten dollars a ton per year. And this gives a strong market signal to uh industry, producers, but also consumers that Anything that's energy related, you know, those prices can expect to rise, yet they'll receive a dividend check to offset that. And the way the figures go now, it's estimated that if the carbon fee and dividend were implemented, um, 70% of households would break even or better due to the dividend. So it would offset the increase in the cost of living. So
0: the uh, theory the the uh, the dividend helps uh, people to kind of deal with the, the higher costs that would be associated with that, but the ultimate goal of this approach is to reduce carbon emissions. Right. Uh, so um, uh, the I I guess the idea is you just start stacking the dollars on top of the cost of polluting to the point that it really encourages people to look for other alternatives that uh, that might be more cost-effective for them. Is that, that a basic understanding?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think the CCL um, beginning would be like a $15 a ton and go up $10 a year uh, per ton. Um, and there are other... Effects there are co-pollutants or co-pollutant effects in addition Which would benefit everybody in terms of health? Um, for instance um, Lead in uh, in aviation fuel
0: mm-hmm.
1: Is a problem so this would encourage less consumption of aviation fuel there are other ways of, of more efficient ways of, of flying airplanes and it would encourage that. Um, so lead is one issue and mercury is another. Mercury is a, a common problem in many rivers. Um, gets into trout. It builds up in their flesh. Um, and then we eat it and it concentrates in us. And it's toxic. So. And the mercury comes from coal combustion. Mm-hmm. Right. And, yeah, in, in this part of the country, in northwest Arkansas... Currently, coal is eighty-four uh, percent of our electricity generation. So that's that's every time we turn on a light switch, we're participating in that.
0: I've certainly heard the argument from uh, electrical utilities, even locally, that uh, uh, you cannot provide the power that Americans demand. On solar and wind uh, so you know if, if we're sort of using this approach to put the pressure on br- the burning of fossil fuels and to, to you know eventually kind of bring that way down or eliminate it are, are we talking about a major you know lifestyle change for Americans to, to, uh, to be able to make this work?
2: I don't think so Uh, I I just recently attended a a conference uh, held by the University of Michigan. It was called Fastest Path to Zero. And there were researchers, academics, people from business and uh, non-governmental organizations talking about this very issue. How do we do this? And basically, the consensus was among all of these experts from uh, many different disciplines is that... Every solution needs to stay on the table. There will be no one thing that can deliver us to a zero carbon, uh, power sector. Uh, we need all of it and we need to combine them in a really strategic manner. So, uh, you know, to run everything on solar and wind, for example, would be very difficult. Yet those costs right now are really low but if we combine it strategically with other uh, low carbon or non-quark carbon sources, we can make the entire thing work. Those other options are nuclear power, uh, geothermal, and another big one, which we haven't seen much yet, is fossil fuels with carbon capture and storage. So some of those are not available yet, Specifically, fossil, but uh, it was generally agreed that we need some combination of all those options, and we can do it. Uh, the moment you leave any one of those out, the solution gets to be more expensive, longer to reach, and just more difficult. So that was that was the conclusion of many many experts from different disciplines. So citizens'
0: climate lobby has has. Uh supported and put forth this bill in congress uh to implement this um uh what's what's going on uh with congress in terms of the bill and 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 the CCL's uh drive to try to get it passed
1: well uh last year there were 45 Republicans and 45 Democrats who had signed on to the climate solutions caucus in the house um, some I, there was some turnover uh, since but you know 90 members of, of Congress 90 representatives is a good contingent mm.
0: so you think that we're making uh, a, a kind of a change in the mindset of, of Congress to to where you're seeing a more bipartisan approach to it
1: yeah that's definitely part of the part of the solution is is a a bipartisan approach and the revenue neutral part of the citizens climate lobby uh, agenda is, is appealing to people who are fiscal conservatives and also, well, whether, what, whichever party they're part of. Um, so yes. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and apparently
2: too, um, in Congress, uh, climate change solutions in the past, among conservatives, it just wasn't a thing. But it's been observed that within the last couple of years, conservatives are actually debating climate change solutions. So this is a significant shift. Uh, we think that Citizens Climate Lobby is responsible for at least part of that, but there, there has been a... a a more recent shift where uh, it's recognized that this is something that needs to be addressed. So give me a sense um, uh,
0: you know I think most of us we we kind of live our lives going to work and you know playing out in the Ozarks and all that and we we don't really pay a lot of attention to things until it has that kind of direct impact on us. Um, give me a sense of how you guys feel Climate change is having an impact here in Northwest Arkansas.
1: Well, um, personally, I, I have allergies, and there's been a great increase in in uh, pollen in the air over the past forty years, um, and over the past four years in particular.
0: And, and how does that connect to climate change?
1: Good. Um, it, it connects because as heat as heat increases, um, plants give off more pollen. Okay. And I, I get more and more sick, or more sick more frequently and more severely every year as a result of, of
0: allergies. Well, this spring is definitely a, a good example to uh, bolster that argument.
1: And another, another example is flooding and droughts. And we've had both, and they're getting more and more severe. I'm a, I'm a hydrologist by training, uh, engineering hydrologist. And the, the data record demonstrates a, a sudden departure in the past 40 years. Um, in terms of unreal, it used to be that a 100 year record was considered the gold standard for doing hydro- hydrology works and, and uh, planning for flooding. But as things have changed, there's been a sudden increase in both floods and droughts, so that buildings that were constructed in Fayetteville that were high and dry when they were built are now considered to be in flood zones. And that increases costs because then you need to buy flood insurance. Um,
0: I've run into that over the years just covering municipal government where you, you know, I had to learn, you know, when I heard people say, well, this was a a hundred-year flood. I, I wasn't quite sure what that was, but it has to do with probabilities and, and that sort of thing. And then, you know, five years later, you know, they're saying, "Well, this is another hundred-year flood," and you're saying, "Wait a minute. <laughs> you know, how does how does that work?"
1: we in Nebraska. We had a thousand-year flood recently. Um, what? Okay. What? What a thousand-year flood means is a 0.1 percent chance of an so, in, in event happening. A one percent or a, a hundred year flood is a one percent chance of okay. happening every year. Okay. But it's been pretty obvious by the increasing number of hundred year, five hundred year, and thousand year floods that the num- that the predictions aren't correct anymore. They don't hold any longer because the data has changed. As an
2: ex Michigander from forty years ago, And just coming back from that conference in Michigan, uh, we were reminded that within the last several years, those northern parts of our country experienced three polar vortex events. These were supposedly 1,000 year events. Three polar vortexes within several years. And that's because the jet stream has weakened. And it wanders and so occasionally we get these uh, tremendous uh, Arctic blasts down to regions where they don't where it doesn't really belong so again this is another manifestation of a warming globe affecting long-term weather which is climate but then also you see the extremes of individual weather events Uh, and Some parts of the country, you know, their electric grid, their power grid was very close to collapse because of the stresses of the polar vortex. Uh, Coal plants couldn't burn because the coal piles were frozen. Uh, You know, natural gas capacity was at at the limit, and some industries had to be turned off to prioritize heating of homes. So it's, you know, it's real. That's not Arkansas. But that's an indication that, uh, and that's on the cold end. Of course, what we can expect here in Arkansas is the frequency of heat waves will increase in, in number. So uh, that's another thing that uh, needs to be considered.
1: And warmer air holds more water. So with more water, when it hits a cold front, then it falls as rain and precipitation. And so that's why the the flooding uh, incidence has increased. And if you want a $5 word, non-stationarity of data, of the data record, (laughs) is what hydrologists call it. It's it's a change in the regular pattern of of weather over time because of a general heating. Um, Houston had 3,000-year events in a row. Mm. In terms of flooding, um, and we get the the people who have to move, the displaced people from Houston, from from New Orleans when Katrina hit. You know, the, it affects a region; it doesn't just affect one location.
0: And and that brings to mind the you know the sheer size of climate change, and and the suggestion that that people ought to, you know, do something about it. And, and, you know, it's a little bit like standing on a mountain, looking up into the stars and, and realizing, you know, how big you are compared <laughs> to the universe. You know, it, it, it makes you wonder, what can I really do to, to make any kind of difference here? Um, Fayetteville uh, city government uh, has started discussing... Uh, uh its own policy as far as uh, uh what people commonly refer to as styrofoam containers and uh, and and putting a ban on those and you kind of look at those and go well what what difference will it really make if Fayetteville just little little Fayetteville you know in the grand scheme of things does this you know does it really have an impact so you know how how do you guys approach people who kind of feel like you know what can I do? What you know? What difference can I make?
2: That's a great question, and um, I guess from studying that topic, you know, in depth over the last ten years, uh, my advice to people is: don't sweat the small stuff. And I, there's a lot of misconception and misunderstanding about. You know, how large certain impacts are. Uh, a recent example is the uh, kerfuffle lately over plastic straws. To me, that's a small stuff item. And it turns out that in uh, our individual lives, probably the biggest single component that we have an impact on is transportation. Car travel, jet travel, and Travel embodied in other items like uh, consumer goods. Supply chain issues. Right. Uh, And then, so, and then beyond transportation, uh, probably consumer goods is the next biggest thing the embodied energy in stuff we buy. I'm not saying don't buy things, but do your research, buy something that's high quality, that will last. Do I really need it? And the same thing with back on transportation. Uh, That weekend jaunt to Vegas, really? Maybe not. And uh, avoiding, not saying don't use planes, but that's something that has a really big impact. Uh, One avoided jet trip will save millions of straws worth of (laughs) environmental impact. Sure. So, uh, and then... You know, uh, utilities, utility companies offer programs for energy audits, energy efficiencies. A lot of this is free. They're incentivized to help you out and uh, make your home more efficient. That's a good thing to do. Uh, Moving more toward plant-based diets. That can have a significant uh, uh, environmental impact. So to me, those are the big things uh, that... A person can do and have have a notable impact but in addition to that I would say that there needs to be the policy component too and and I'm just saying this is what I did personally is choose one thing just a suggestion choose one thing that you're passionate about take the time to learn about it become a citizen expert And then lobby. It doesn't matter what it is, but do your research. Be careful about it. There's a lot of information on the Internet. Not all of it is good. (laughs) But uh, be passionate about something. Learn and uh, advocate. And uh, I think a combination of personal life and uh, some type of appropriate political activism, and that's a way that a person can really have an impact.
0: So connect the dots for me. How does my juicy, nice steak, <laughs> how does that contribute to climate change?
1: Um, through uh, fertilizer production is a highly petroleum intensive industry for one thing. And your juicy steak or my juicy steak is, requires eight times as much feed Per pound of meat, um, as you know, a soy burger or or a substitute for the steak. Um, and each kind of meat has a different scale uh, point on the scale. So eight times for beef, about three times for poultry. Um, in terms of the conversion efficiency into meat.
0: So we're we're basically just talking about it's it's not just me putting a, a piece of steak on the grill to cook that's causing the problem. It's you're talking about the process from from the very beginning that that feeds the cow or the chicken that that and of course transportation and you know all of those things as well but that that actually gets that animal to the point of of being slaughtered and eventually in my in my supermarket Uh, that 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 process is what really has the larger impact Uh, wife was
1: right a neurologist a physician Um, and her talk on plant based diets um, gets into personal health your health improves when you're a little less fat from eating lots of meat Uh, your cholesterol goes down so personal health improves, and you also generate less carbon. You know, one-eighth less uh, for a satisfying meal. And one special thing about
2: uh, cattle is that Hmm. they emit methane, mostly burps. Mm -hmm. And methane is a very potent greenhouse gas. 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide. So, uh, you know, a large... Uh, beef industry, uh, that's got that additional uh, negative impact as well. Uh, and again, we're not saying people should completely go vegan, but to the degree that we can reduce uh, our meat intake, that's going to have a, a very favorable effect. So really, once, I- once,
0: once somebody has reached the conclusion that climate change is an issue that they need to be personally doing something about, Yes this this is an area where they could have an impact.
1: Margaret and I started with meatless Mondays. You know, just having one day a week where we would avoid meat and it's been fun. We've learned new re- recipes. Well, she's her new recipes. I don't cook very well. Um, and you your palate changes and and as your diet changes you don't you don't miss meat anymore.
0: Okay, what else uh, can we touch on today in our limited time together to uh, to uh, help people understand what's what's at stake here?
1: I would say, uh, well, mitigation, adaptation, and misery are going to be the result of climate change. We get to choose which one which one we emphasize. Do we want to mitigate? Adapt and everybody else is on their own? Or do we want to increase misery? Um, and our actions has a direct effect on that outcome. And the legislation that we lobby for has a direct result, a direct outcome in, in that ratio of mitigation, adaptation, and misery.
0: So, how do you guys respond? I'm I'm sure somebody's listening that is just a complete skeptic about, you know, the the man-made climate change. Um, How do you respond when you run across somebody that that feels that way? Boy,
2: it's it's tough for me because I've just been brought up in the scientific tradition and I look at the data. So, for me, there's just absolutely no question and for Any single topic has not been studied more intensively by the world's scientific community than climate change. So uh, that's my perspective. But another way to approach it for someone who may not have a scientific background is let's just, just take climate change out of it. We're talking about pollution. You know, we know that the stuff coming out of smokestacks is not good. You know, mercury contamination in our waterways, uh, particulate contamination just from coal combustion alone is responsible for upwards of 3 million deaths per year globally. Uh, Many other airborne contaminants have all types of health effects. Asthma, uh, respiratory issues, uh, even cancer. So those are just from a public health perspective, there's plenty of reason right there <clears throat> to do what we can to uh, reduce and even eliminate those those emissions. So I think that, for most people, that would be, that makes perfect sense. If you don't, if you can't uh, get your head around uh, the science of climate change, fine. We'll leave that out of the equation, and the avoided costs of health care and death And environmental damage uh, alone is more than enough justification to uh, pursue this
1: so my response would be well what if climate change is a hoax and we just clean up the air wouldn't that be a a terrible result (laughs) you know if our grandchildren can breathe better air and see the stars you know what, what what's to lose
0: all right. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate it very much. Gary Kahanek and Terry Trimwell, thank you so much for being here and visiting with us today. Thank you so much, Greg. Thank you, Greg. That's it for this edition. Thanks for joining us. To learn more about the Citizens Climate Lobby, you can visit citizensclimatelobby.org. So what do you think? You can give me your thoughts at my email, which is harton. that's G-H-A-R-T-O-N, at NWADG.com. That's NWA like Northwest Arkansas and DG like Democrat Gazette.com. And my Twitter handle is at N-W-A Greg. Be sure to check back as we post new episodes, and of course, you can subscribe to our Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette family of podcasts through your favorite podcast platform. That includes Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. They're also available at nwaonline.com podcast. Until next time, this is Greg Harton for Speaking of Arkansas. Take care.